Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 384. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent... Hmm, what should I be? Sparklefist? Agent Sparklefist. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and that leads us to our top news this week, which is, of course, that Marvel Studios, Captain Marvel, is in theaters now! You look, there ain't nothing bigger than that. Higher, further, faster, baby. Yeah, it is your obligation as a Marvel fan to go see this movie. We saw it this week. You're going to love it, and we want to hear your reactions because yeah. you're going to have some. For we got sure. more to talk about for the big film, but for the rest of the episode, we also have we have a lot of fun stuff this episode. Our big talk is the first of several roundtable discussions I have with War of the Realms creative team of Jason Aaron. Russell Dodderman and Matthew Wilson. Uh, we dig into the lead up of the story, stuff you should know, you know, uh, lots of history of them working together, cool little tidbits. Uh, it's really fun because I don't, I think we even talk about it. They've never actually been in the same place together, hmm. which is wild. Uh, our proper interview this week is with comedian Matt Bronger, uh, who he was a hoot. He was absolutely super fun. He was also on Marvel's Agent Carter, and he played a character who was just doing his best. Just doing his best. <laughs> and it was th- we had a good chuckle over that. Yes, but now on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. And so much of it is about Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. We had a live stream of the world premiere this week, which you can rewatch on Marvel.com and on our YouTube. Tons of clips and interviews and fun stuff. And, of course, great content with Goose the Cat. Oh, absolutely. I think Goose the Cat got dressed up for the red carpet mm-hmm. premiere, and um, he, he looks very handsome. Indeed. And uh, he's a very good cat. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're recording this the day after our company screening. Yes. Our New York friends and family screening. It was, it's always great to see a movie with everybody. It was such a blast. It's always a blast to see a brand new movie with a movie audience. You introduced it. It was great. Very rousing. Very rousing intro. You know, like, you got to get hyped. You got to get excited. We're we're sitting there to watch something that Marvel Studios put together and then, like, all the comics that go into it, all the work that everybody puts into these films. It's so exciting. It's super exciting. And I was in I was in row B with my best friend, and it was like uh, free IMAX. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah. it, for real, though, it was it's such a great movie just for your eyes. It's it was sparkly. Like it was it was a sparkly movie. It was it felt different in a really good way. It was a movie about this character, and it was very much hers. And I think you'll as fans appreciate how her quote-unquote origin story is told. Yeah. It was really cool seeing all those pieces put together, how they incorporated the Skrulls, how the Kree were involved, Nick Fury, Agent Coulson, all little bits and pieces, how it ties into the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe story that Marvel Studios is telling. Of course, you know, the Stan stuff, the thanks to all the the people on the comic side who created all these works. It's just really neat. The Stan stuff is really fantastic. Uh, he, of course, has a cameo. It won't spoil what it's about, but it is extremely special. It's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. But I'm sure you guys will, uh, everybody listening, will will have all your own opinions. We'll get to that a little bit later. Oh, yeah. One last bit of hype this week is that Marvel Television is returning to WonderCon in Anaheim. And they're bringing with them Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, and Legion. And making its WonderCon debut, Marvel Rising. We're going to show uh, the world premiere of the newest animated special, Marvel Rising Heart of Iron, before that premieres on Wednesday, April 3rd on Marvel HQ. Uh, you can get the full schedule of Marvel goings-on at WonderCon at Marvel.com. It's a fun bit of news. I hope you guys check that out. Of course, uh, C2E2 is coming up. I'm going to be there. We'll be sharing some information about that. Yeah, con season. It's starting. Oh, I can't believe it's already starting. Brace yourselves. It's, yeah. it's creeping up. But that's the future. Let us look to the past with This Week in Marvel History. We've got a whole bunch to talk about. If um, you're just joining us, This Week in Marvel History, I looked at the 80 years uh, looking for key things that have happened on the dates of March 8th through the 14th across these last 80 years. We're going to go all the way back to March 14th, 1956. It is not a landmark thing, but I just can't get over it. We released a book called Melvin the Monster, who is definitely not Dennis the Menace. Oh. But Stan Lee wrote it, uh, <laughs> which is great, and it only ran seven issues, the final issue of which was called Dexter the Demon. And it is 
honestly just a little terror of a child and and what he does. Like, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> Dennis the Menace was such a big thing. Like, why not? That is, it's a lot of fun. Uh, all right. So now we're getting into the 60s. March 12th, 1963. The Mad Thinker, the Awesome Android, and the Yancey Street Gang all debut in the pages of Fantastic Four number 15. March 10th, 1964, our good pal Mysterio appears for the first time in Amazing Spider-Man number 13. Of course, we'll soon see him on the big screen in Spider-Man Far From Home. Wasn't there a picture of... Jake Gyllenhaal, like, reading that comic? Yes. On, he was reading there a Mysterio comic. I think it was, it might have been this one. Uh, he posted that on social media not too long ago. March 11th, 1965. So, remember last week, Jamie, when I talked about X-Men number 11, said it would be important to what we were talking about this week? I do remember that. Well, in Avengers number 16, just a week after leaving the Brotherhood in the pages of X-Men, which was last week, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver joined the Avengers. So they, oh. one week they're they're sort of like on this villain side, and they're like, we don't want to be villains anymore. The next week, they join the Avengers, which was a huge deal. They join along with Hawkeye, who was another reformed villain at that time, very early in his career. And they link up with Captain America as the second iteration of the Avengers. Everyone else kind of leaves the team. You know, Hulk has already gone at this point. Thor, Iron Man, uh, Hank and Janet, like they all leave the team. So you're left with this four. And this team of four Avengers is affectionately dubbed Cap's Cookie Quartet, which I've always loved. It's such a seminal part of Avengers history. We've gone back to that story a bunch of times. Uh, (laughs) Maybe most importantly for this week, though, is Fantastic Four number 51 comes out which is the amazing and seminal issue titled This Man, This Monster. It is one of the landmark issues of one of the greatest runs in the history of comics by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. You know, they did 103 issues, and this is like smack dab in the middle and is sort of one of those, like, if you give person one comic from this run, this could be it, and it's so good. It's, a, it's not just a, a dynamo of an issue. It's also the first appearance of the negative zone. Yeah, like, looking at... The comics of the 60s is like bang, 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 bang. Every week something cool is happening. Uh, March 13th, 1973, it's the death of Gwen Stacy in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man number 121. Very powerful, devastating story. Obviously, Gwen's legacy goes well beyond her death. And uh, I think there's a lot more that we've seen from the character in the years since. It's interesting. Uh, somebody brought it up on Twitter a week or two ago. Jim Zub was like, did some research about this, that... In, I believe it's in Mexico, they decided to this. do, like, keep going as if Gwen didn't die. So they have original Spider-Man stories told with Gwen still alive in the 70s, which is really fascinating stuff. I, I've yeah. never seen these myself. I've just, you know, read some stuff online, which is real neat. Uh, March 11th, 1998, we released 2099 Manifest Destiny. Uh, so it's kind of the end of the 2099 stories and universe, at least for a good long while, wraps up a whole bunch of stuff, puts character like Miguel O'Hara in different places. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk about it at some point on This Week in Marvel, but Warren Ellis wrote a bunch of issues of Doom 2099, and it is fantastic. It is one of, like, of the 2099 stuff, a lot of people go back to when, you know, of my age, go back to when they were kids and they read X-Men 2099 But I love that Doom 2099 run. But all of this kind of ends with Manifest Destiny, which came out in 98. March 12th, 2014, Captain Marvel number one by Kelly Sue DeConnick and David Lopez comes out. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. Hugely influential to Carol's place in the MCU and all the stuff that we talked about already. And it's great. Uh, And then finally, March 12th, 2018, Marvel's Wolverine the Long Night premiered on (gasps) Stitcher Premium. And now it's free, and y'all can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts and you can, we have a comic out. You can also read it. Where you can read it. And, of course, the new season comes, oof, what is it? Like, March 25th. Yeah. Two weeks and change. Yeah. So close. I'm listening to Marvel's Wolverine the Long Night for the third time, because I ran out of podcasts and I had that one saved. <laughs> and I was like, I, I will. how you ran out of po- I have like a hundred episodes of various things. Oh, you know, the save and offline. I didn't sit down and save enough offline. To, ah, you know, but gotcha. I always have my my long night. Yeah. But uh, Jamie, are you going to put this stuff on on the site as well? You I know, know you it. did it last week. Okay, cool. Yep. So yep. if anybody, uh, you know, I sometimes I talk a little quick. So if uh, there's anything in here you want to 
dive deeper in and check out the comics and all that good stuff. Uh, we'll have that on Marvel.com for you. Yeah, ready with links to Marvel Unlimited and everything. Ooh, mm-hmm. very good. Zazzed it up for you. Zazzed it. Zazzed it. Uh, Twim URC reminder, we're getting some suggestions in from y'all. I'm just making the executive decision because <laughs> I've emailed CB Sobolski and he has not gotten back to me and I love him because he's running the damn comics part of our company. We're going to do Fantastic Four issues 48 through 51. Ah. Um, I think we're going to stop at 51 because then if I do 52, then that's like the first appearance of Black Panther. And then you have to do kind of 52, 53, 54. So I'm going to go with 48 through 51. That gets us the Galactus trilogy and this man, this monster. And it's kind of perfect. Uh, But also on Marvel's The Pull List, we're going to be talking about some sort of a smattering of landmark issues Tucker and I are going to go through. We're not going to touch Fantastic Four since we're going to do that with CB, but we're going to be talking about uh, first appearances of a variety of different characters. So stay tuned for both of those real soon. So get reading on Fantastic Four 48 through 51. Send your questions in using hashtag TwimURC. Email us at TwimPodcast at Marvel.com. Questions, comments, thoughts, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll make sure to put that up on the website and in the app ASAP. Uh, so that stuff, all about the past. But currently, the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List are Age of X-Men, Prisoner X number one, Avengers number 16, Killmonger number five, and Ziggy Pig, Silly Seal Comics number one. I'm telling y'all, it's so good. Believe Ryan. I trust Ryan's taste in comics. And- That's right. Ryan, you're also sort of like when you go into a restaurant and the waiter or the barkeep knows exactly what to serve you. Mm. You're like that with comics. That would be a great like thing. Like yeah. I should have a booth somewhere and someone just comes up, what comics should I read? And I just, it's you know, like, here you go. Let me just get a read on you. I know exactly what you need. Yeah, precisely. Uh, all right. That brings us now to our main part of the show, the big talk, where we sit down with the War of the Realms creative team, writer Jason Aaron, artist Russell Dodderman and colorist Matthew Wilson. We're going to be doing four sit-downs, sort of roundtable discussions with these guys. First one is a lot of background, setting things up, getting you ready for War of the Realms. And then the rest will be during the War of the Realms, sort of catching you up, talking about some highlights, getting some details in there. So stay tuned for those as we get into War of the Realms in April through June. But this first one is a lot of fun. Had a great time talking to the boys. Uh, So check it out right now. All right, I am so excited, y'all, because we have our first War of the Realms chat with the creative team, and sitting in front of me are Jason Aaron, Matt Wilson, and on the line is Mr. Russell Dodderman. How y'all doing? Awesome. Yeah, great. Good. (laughs) Yeah. So what we're going to do here, we're going to sort of set up what fans should be expecting, some really cool stuff, but before we get into that, before we really get into War of the Realms, I want to learn a little bit about each of you. I want to get into your Marvel origin stories, how you first connected to Marvel as fans. Was it a comic, a cartoon, underoos? Russell, I would love for you to tell us your story first. Uh, well, unfortunately, it wasn't through Underoos, but it was through X-Men the Animated Series, I think was the first marvel anything that i saw and i was completely obsessed with that as a kid and you know that led me to the comics and it really helped at that time because all of the characters from the the cartoon looked exactly like they looked in the comics and so it was really easy for me to jump over and i became hooked and i haven't stopped reading uh, marvel since then nice matt what about you similar russell and i must be a similar age um we didn't have comic stores nearby and my parents weren't into comics so it was the x-men cartoon and then also the trading cards because there was a sports card uh, like a sports card store near the house within writing distance which was important when you're a kid but they also sold the superhero trading cards so i had a ton of those still have them love those things do you remember which uh set oh yeah i had the first three series in full still like i can reach from my desk and put my hands on them when i'm at home and then soon after that i just happened to make a new friend who's you know same age we were young maybe 10 11 12 something like that but his dad was had read comics all his life so that family was very much into comics and through them then they took me to the comic store and that kind of thing but yeah on my own that first thing was the x-men the animated series and then the the trading cards i love it yeah jason 
Give me some underoos stories. What do you got? Uh, I'm wearing underoos right now. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, hundred mm. percent. Today's origin story. <laughs> um, I mean, mine is kind of similar, but I'm a little older than these guys. So instead of the X Men cartoon for me, it was uh, Spider Man and his amazing friends. I'd read some Marvel comics, like I had some issues of FF and stuff by that point, but that was my favorite cartoon show, and that was the thing that really pulled me into the to the Marvel universe. There were episodes of Amazing Friends with the X Men and Captain America, and they pulled a lot of different characters in. So that was. I came away from that one to read more Marvel comics and, and became, I think the X-Men were the thing that pulled me in comic-wise, and that came after Amazing Friends. Longshot, I loved Longshot, that original Art Adams miniseries that was huge for me. Hmm. Funny enough, we have Arthur Adams doing covers for War of the Realms. There it is. Yeah, there it you all go. works. Um, and so I, I do want to talk about War of the Realms because it is a massive Marvel Universe event. We're going to dig into that more, and I want to roll back and look at your first work together. And I did a little math in prep for this conversation. Before we can get to the War of the Realms issues you, you've been working on together, I believe the three of you have worked together on 34 issues. Wow. Does that sound That's about cool. right? Yeah, that sounds about sounds right. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. So it's Thor, you know, launching October 1st, 2014. There are a bunch of issues there. Then, of course, Mighty Thor, November 18th, 2015. Unworthy Thor, there's a few pages in there. That's issue number four. Mighty Thor, number 700, and a couple issues in there towards the end of that series. And then there's a little bit in Marvel Legacy, number one. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You did yeah. your research, I know, Ryan. right? I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah, that's good. They call me a journalist. You, and you I, did I research did really well. and math. I wow. know. It's wild. <laughs> he was tired after that. <laughs> <laughs> but had you guys ever worked on anything together prior to Thor, number one? I didn't come up with anything, but I could be missing something. Well, Not Matt all three and I of us. did. Right. Um, we did some covers together at Valiant, and that's yeah. how you know I knew about Matt. Uh, well, I'd known about his work before, but I knew that we worked well together, and that's uh, where I suggested him for the to do the colors for Thor was because I loved those those few colors we had done before for the covers. Yeah, which I was knowing the run leading up to that that Jason had been writing. I thought. I was. I just didn't see me as getting offered to work on Thor, assuming it was going to be similar to what he had done before. Little did I know it was a very different direction. And then Russell telling me how he wanted to design things and kind of take some of the the visuals. It started to make sense why I might be picked for something like that. So. Yeah, Jason, do you remember how this direction for Thor, bringing Russell on, bringing you know Russell just mentioned bringing Matt on because of he loved his colors. But do you remember how this all galvanized together? You know, I think that was our editor, Will Moss, was the guy who put the art team together. I mean, in terms of the direction, Thor got a thunder. The first kind of big chapter of my run was mostly Esad Ribic. So I think he kind of defined the look of it and the tone of it. It was very much a heavy metal song. And then so we knew, you know, the person who was carrying the hammer was changing as we moved into the next volume. And I wanted the tone to change a little bit. But I, again, I think a lot of that came from the artist. I think the tone for the first one, a lot of it came from Esad, and I think the tone for the Jane stuff really came from from Russell and Matt. So having them on board, and like Russell was talking about, he designed a lot of the, the stuff. It wasn't just him drawing things that already existed. We had to make up a lot of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's nice to have worked on Thor for this long, and it's cool that it's not, I don't feel like I've been doing the same thing the whole time. I think we've been able to do different very different volumes. I think the stuff, you know, that Mike Del Mundo has been drawing most mm. recently is different from Esad and from Russell. So it's cool to, to mix it up. It's a character you can do a lot of different kinds of stories with. Yeah. Russell, do you remember, you know, if you started doing designs and doing work, how long it was between starting on designs and then actually drawing the first issue? Will initially approached me about just doing a, a variant cover. This was before I was really in the mix for getting the job. And so there was some time there and then I was getting married. So I told Will, can I do it, you know, after I get back from my honeymoon? And he was like, oh, okay. And then in the week or so lull, I came back and was offered the job. I guess there had been some talk before then. And after that, I, you know, started immediately drawing the first issue, I think. I did some character models. We didn't really get into new characters and new designs until 
a couple issues in maybe with Odin and Freya and then as we went it sort of snowballed because we started traveling around to all the different realms and some of that had been designed previously either with Assad or Olivier Coipel or Walt Simonson and so I was building on that but also getting to explore and add a lot of new flavors for all these realms that we hadn't really seen before hadn't really visited. It's good company to, to be in <laughs> with when you're doing all this yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not intimidating at all. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, right. Don't forget Kirby. Throw Kirby in oh, the mix. Yes, too. of right. course. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> What's the collaboration process like for you guys as a as a core creative team working consistently for thirty plus issues? How does that work when you know Jason, you're starting to write and then go from there? Well, I mean, you know, it's one of the the challenges of doing comics is that yes, it's very much a collaboration, but the three of us have never been sitting in the same room together at the never? same time. No. Yeah. I mean, It'll Russell and I. Soon. Yeah, it will happen at C two E two this year. It'll be uh-huh. the first time we're mm-hmm. all together. So it's, I guess it's very much a collaboration. But you're not, we're not doing it all sitting in the same room talking to each other. You know, we can talk on the phone and exchange a lot of emails, but we each have to pull in the same direction while being in totally separate parts of the country. Yeah, but that's the cool part is working with a lot of talented people. And I mean, I can't. I'm terrible at drawing. I am not good at Pictionary. Um, <laughs> So it's, it is not my job to tell Russell how to draw or tell Matt how to color. I try to give them something cool to play right. with and then let them do what they know how to do really, really, really well. Hmm. But Jason's really great about that. Um, in his scripts, they, they're super descriptive in all the right ways. You know, he talks a lot about what a character's feeling or you know, what their motivation is, or he tells you what's happening and breaks it into panels, but gives me enough leeway that I can come up with a composition that might not be exactly what he had in mind or that I could, you know, add a panel or take one away and, you know, add my stamp to it. And then I try to give Matt enough layers and things in the actual artwork that he can really play and add to it. So, you know, you're trying to pass it on to the next person with enough that they can, you know, spread their wings a little bit. And when you say layers, you mean actual like digital, mm. a, a digital file with different layers because you're drawing digitally? Yeah, exactly. I do everything digitally from the layouts to the, the finished inks. You know, that helps because I'm a bit OCD, so I can erase <laughs> as many times as I like and I don't have to worry about <laughs> splattering um, ink everywhere. But also it helps, um, I think it helps, maybe Matt can speak to this more than I can, but it helps to let us achieve certain effects that we wouldn't have been able to achieve traditionally just by separating out different elements so that Matt can work with them and add his own effects to them. Yeah, for sure. And that we had to figure that out as we went. Uh, I mean, like Jason said, it's not like we're all on the phone hanging out, Skyping or whatever, like real regular, but it's nice to yeah, have We this. really don't even like each other yeah. that much. <laughs> I mean, I get that from this conversation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Ryan can feel that in the room. <laughs> but yeah, so it's been great because, you know, Russell and I have evolved the way we work together for, what'd you say, 30-something 30 issues? 34 issues, <laughs> not counting War of the Realms. So it'll, you'll hit the nice big 4-0 oh, wow. real soon. Do you guys have favorite characters, places, elements from these, you know, 34 issues that you've worked together on? I think about that. Um, well, c- clearly, I really, really like the man Gog. Um, I literally from the moment I first took over Thor seven years ago, I, one of the first things I bought was a bust of the Kirby man Gog. And he's been sitting on my desk for, you know, sat there for six years, I guess, before we got to his story, like just staring at me, like, (laughs) when are you going to bring me in? (laughs) So I, I knew for the longest time and we teased man Gog for years in the book. And I like how it worked in that, eventually morphed into being that last big Jane Foster story. So I, I loved finally getting to write the man Gog and seeing what, what Russell and Matt did with all that. Yeah. It's, it is explosive. It's massive. And He's wild. got the strength of a billion, billion beings. I don't know <laughs> if I mentioned that part. I hope if we ever do man Gog in like a live action or an animated feature, you voice. Yeah. Man Gog. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm qualified yes, to do that. I'll do motion capture for the <laughs> man Gog. I'll be the Andy Serkis for the, the man Gog. Uh, Definitely do that. Russell, what about you? As, uh, as sappy as it might sound, I really 
think that Jane Foster is my favorite. I just really love so much just from reading Jason's initial pitch of, you know, what he wanted to do with that character in that series. I was really um, taken by her story and her hero's journey, which seems so unique to me. And so I really love drawing her and drawing her as Thor and, you know, drawing the dichotomy between the two. That was really special for me. And on a less uh, sentimental level, I love drawing uh, the little fire goblins from Muspelheim just because their anatomy is so wonky and they're so weird looking and I don't really have to pay attention to musculature and making sure everything's correct because the weirder they look, the better. So they're really fun. Yeah, they're kind of brain breaking and like their franticness, like just, mm-hmm. I love it. They, they look so creepy and cool. A lot of fun. Oh, good. That's, I think that's what we were going for with a lot of these uh, War of the Realms things. And, and Oh, and, and Malekith is actually a favorite of mine. I love yeah. drawing his horrible smile and his long hair and kind of moves around like a cape. Um, he's been a treat to draw to. It's apparent, like the, the love that you guys all have shows off in the work. Matt, what about you? I almost hate to say it because I don't really care for him as a character because he's kind of a jerk. But uh, Dario uh, Agar, Agar, yeah, Agar, yeah, there you go. Uh, but mainly because he's been in a lot of really cool atmospheric scenes, like uh, his the little flashback to his origin. Like I loved, I think that was just a page, even like something about the palette that came out in that, and then or maybe it was two pages, and then like his eyes glowing through his fingers, mm-hmm. and and then his little floating complex up above that big battle when they fought. Roxxon Island. Yeah, yeah, yes. Roxxon Island. Like, and that was that Russell put those old boosters in the bottom, and it was always kind of shrouded in clouds. And so, a lot of it comes down to just stuff I like the color, and he's been in a lot of it. I, I particularly, I, I love all that stuff, but the the Asgard Shi'ar War. Oh like, yeah. There's just something ethereal to like what was going on, and it's like so weird and yeah. so funny at times, and so cosmically catastrophic. Yeah. I think Matt was mad at me for those. For no, those well, that's... Oh, yeah, I did not... Yeah, those characters were a real pain in the butt. But uh, <laughs> that speaks to the layering process, though. There was a scene where they, like, were hurling that comet, and Thor went to stop the comet. And, like, the way Russell drew that comet was in a lot of different layers, which allowed me to then, like go to town on it. Whereas if it had just been like one layer, it would have been much harder to get that effect. But yeah, I did enjoy coloring that comet, not those gods though. (laughs) (laughs) See, this shows how awesome my job is and that I just write, someone throws a comet and then these guys have to to figure out how the hell do you draw that? How do you color that? Yeah. I'm just sitting over here. Throw another comet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's taken so long? 10 billion, 10 16 billion pages comments. of comets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, and Dario's office. Sorry, that was the other thing with the heads of the mercenaries. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, the, yeah, mercenaries. The, yep. the pirate that, headroom. The pirate headroom. Yep. That was another. Uh, Every I, billionaire should have a pirate headroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. one. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to start talking about War of the Realms a little bit. And as far as I can figure, the first mention of War of the Realms was from Thor, God of Thunder, number 25 the last issue of that series before you all three came together for Thor number one. And then the first issue of Mighty Thor has a disturbing panel of the light elf floating in space with so begins the war of the realms carved into its torso. Which That's is you, Maybe uh, you should do the voice of the man gog. That was pretty <laughs> good. You know, I, uh, I've also got, hi, I'm the man gog. You know, I'm <laughs> just give you, op- you can give oh, them right. options. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I take back that offer. Let's maybe brainstorm that. <laughs> That's fair. Jason, when did you start thinking about and planning War of the Realms? Well, I think that the third arc of God of Thunder was the one where Malekith came in, right? Like the first first two arcs were kind of one big God Butcher story. And then that third arc, we brought Malekith back as a bad guy and broke him out of hell. And it was about him becoming king of the Dark Elves again. And that was really the beginning of – like when I took over Thor, I couldn't name – the nine realms. There were nine then. We've added one since then. Now we got ten. I didn't know what Muspelheim was and how that was different than Niflheim or a bunch of other words I didn't know how to pronounce. <laughs> so I felt like, well, I should probably learn what these are. And and even as you dig into a lot of the comics, that wasn't clear which, which realm do the Frost Giants come from and what do the Light Elves look like. And there had been kind of different versions of that all over, over time. So I wanted to do world building and nail down this is what each one of these realms is and this is what it looks like and who lives there. And so the an easy way to do that seemed like a war, a war that would involve all those realms. It would take us to each and every one of them and 
and there'd be good guys and there'd be bad guys. And, I, you know, we've done that. We've been to every single one of the realms. Russell's had drawn most all of them, designed most of the characters <laughs> who live there. And I, I like that. I like that's part of Thor's beat, right? Like that's what makes Thor different from Spider-Man and Cap is, is that Thor is having to deal with all these other weird, fantastic realms that nobody else even understands or knows about. So I'm glad we've been able to do that. But I think it started with that desire and that first big Malekith arc. And yeah, the 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 beginning of Mighty Thor was when the war really began, yeah. as we saw carved into the flesh of a dead light elf floating in space. It's gnarly stuff. As a team, the three of you have been hammering away at Thor for several years, but the beauty of War of the Realms is it is this huge Marvel Universe story. Tons of Earth-based and, and even cosmic characters, Marvel superheroes, supervillains, in addition to all the fun stuff coming from the other nine realms. Which of the characters are you most enjoying working on and, and like taking, you know, like a shot at with the characters? Russell, why don't you go first? I'm trying to think. Well, I just did a page. I can't say much about it because it's from issue, a later issue. So, but it involved um, some of the gods from Vanaheim. And I just did a page that showed a whole bunch of them. And that was really great because they kind of have more of a connection to nature and more animal-based iconography but really each each of the realms has been a fun challenge i was drawing elves last week and dwarves the week before and each one we're trying to make unique and and fun and different yeah i've enjoyed because a lot of the stuff of coloring and war of the realms is a direct continuation of you know so the ice giants and you know i colored a ton of those in the previous thor work we had done so it's fun to have captain america like going shield first into an ice giant's face, like adding that bit that you know Captain America wasn't in our our Thor stuff. So it's 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 been fun to now pull in someone from the larger Marvel universe and get to play around with that as well. So. Yeah, Matt just sent in a, a whole new issue of colors, and it was so great to see his palette that he'd been using on all our Thor stuff, which is you know super poppy and very um, kind of gives you a fantasy vibe and. Not necessarily the sort of thing you always see with more of the traditional Marvel superheroes, but we're really getting into that mashup, like he was saying, and to see those colors that he usually wouldn't use hitting up against a lot of these yeah. Marvel superheroes looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jason? Well, I love seeing these guys draw Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> Russell and Matt do a pretty great Spider-Man. There's a lot of cool Spider-Man stuff in this. I think writing-wise, I like putting the Punisher in the middle of this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Punisher's not used to fighting frost giants and elves, yeah. but he's the Punisher. He doesn't really bat an eye. He's just like, I need a bigger gun, basically. And Russell's been doing some great facial expressions yes. of oh, Punisher yeah. using right. those guns on yep. these like weird other realm creatures. <laughs> and you know, if you read comics, the, the Dark Elves have, have a weakness to iron, so that works good in Frank Castle's benefit. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. Talking about some of these heroes, I wanted to just throw out some of the, the, the characters, some of the heroes uh, who are part of War of the Realms, and just first thing that you think of when you hear these characters' names. We'll go around Jason, Matt, and then Russell, if that makes sense to you guys. Thor. Uh, Underoos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great beard. We're talking current, right? Sorry. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what beard. came to mind. <laughs> Russell, uh, sad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, now we're now we're all sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Freya. Uh, badass. Man, mine's gonna all be hair related, and I'm bald. For those who can't see me, uh, great hair. Because Russell draws it with great hair. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does. I did not see the great hair comment coming from you, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Russell, what do you say? What do you think about uh, with Freya? Um, well, they took both of my answers, so I'm going to go with. <laughs> I'm going to say Spiky. So you'll have to read the series and you'll oh. find out what that means. Yeah, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> Daredevil. Not blind anymore. <laughs> Limber. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Sparkly. I like that. Black Panther. He's also pretty bad. That's what I was going to say. It yeah. would have been mine. Purple? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's just mostly movie. I don't know how other colors handle them, but I like the purple. Dive into it. Yeah. It's good. 
The first word that came into mind was pounce because I've been drawing them kind of in a lot of cat poses. <laughs> I love so, it. Sure. Uh, pounce. That's mine. That's great. Uh, uh, last one, Spider-Man. Funny, hopefully. I, I, I always work really hard on Spider-Man dialogue. Every line of dialogue I've ever written for Spider-Man, I work probably an in, inordinate amount of time to try to hopefully get it right. It feels somehow more important. So I hope he's funny. I'm trying to think of the, how to say this in a word since you asked for a word, but I'm like, I wish I was Spider-Man. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. Is, yeah. I like <laughs> That's that. sweet. Yeah, he seems like he has the most fun. He's got a good heart. Like, he hits all the right notes for me. So, I don't know what that word is. But You've I got wish a good heart too, Matt Wilson. Yeah, but you watch me try and swing between buildings and I'm terrible. It's true. You so, are pretty bad at yeah. that. That'll be the video we shoot later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Russell, what about you? Um, I was going to say lighthearted. I think he's, no matter what story he's in, and certainly in this one, even if there's something grim going on, you can count on him for, you know, a quip or something to lighten the mood, which is always appreciated, or at least appreciated by me, not always by the characters around him. Are you just trying to say I'm depressing? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) It is a war, Jason. (laughs) It is a war. It's true. It is. Uh, Speaking of it being a war, there's obviously the side that the heroes have to face. And I just started writing out all this stuff, and it's just so fun. And if we have listeners who don't know who's on the other side of the war against the heroes, I'm going to list them off. And you guys feel free to stop me if you want to talk about any of them. We've got Malekith, along with his allies, who include the Frost Giants, led by King Laufey. The Fire Goblins, led by Cinder, Queen of Muspelheim. The Trolls, led by King Ulick, who is one of my favorite designs. When we were talking about the cards, there's the card of yep. Ulick, the Art Adams yep. art. I know from, exactly what you're uh, talking about. I love that like I, it, I would consider getting a tattoo of that card art because it's just so cool. Yeah, which is what makes coloring Art Adams covers for this book with him right. on it is yeah really wild for me because I remember that card very specifically. Yeah. The Angel Warriors of Heaven. The corporate warriors of Roxxon, led by Dario Agar. <laughs> the Prince of Lies, Loki. The evil enchantress. Plus, of course, Malekith's own dark elf soldiers, the war witches, and his bodyguard, Curse. Yeah. That's quite a you know formidable group of bad guys, right? Yeah. Mm. And all those bad guys show up in the middle of Times Square in War of the Realms number one. And nobody noticed. <laughs> you know it's like you're reading my notes because I, I my next thing was to talk about how it starts in new york city the war of the realms but expands where does the story go from the beginning of the story it goes everywhere um really the first two issues the first act is very much a new york battle that's sort of the first battle in the war for midgard all those bad guys the worst villains of all the other realms show up here start wreaking havoc. Midgard is the last realm standing. It's the last realm that hasn't been crushed or fallen in line with Malachus. So everybody shows up here. It starts in New York. Heroes fall. Their bodies left on the ground. And from there, it expands all around the globe. So all those bad guys you just rattled off basically divvy up the earth, and each one takes a continent and goes out and sets out to conquer it. So Every country in the world becomes a battleground. So we see all the major heroes of the Marvel Universe have to fight on every front along with various international heroes from those different countries. So, you know, the Queen of Cinders decides, I own Asia now, and she takes over all of Asia. So Asia is now burning with the flames of Muspelheim, and Europe is overrun with dark elves, and Australia has been conquered by trolls. Um <laughs> That really is act two, is that that battle goes global. Yeah, which I'm sure that means we're going to see lots of cool new stuff. Russell, do you get to do many new costumes or weapons through War of the Realms? Yeah, there's, I don't know how much I can say about it, but there's, um, at one point, some heroes go on a mission to one of the realms and they need to be better equipped with different clothing and armor and weapons than they normally have. So you get to see this mashup of Marvel Universe non-Thor characters taking on a bit of the Asgardian aesthetic. If you've seen the preview image, you'll see Daredevil has a bit of a different look that might remind you of a certain Thor character. And there's a bit of things like that that some of these Marvel Universe heroes are taking on bits of Thor's world in a very fun, fantasy-filled sort of way. 
when you're sort of thinking of these twists on characters and giving them these new looks, do you, how many designs do you go through? Or is it just like you sort of sketch in and just you're there? Uh, more the latter. Um, I kind of go through a lot in my head before I actually put anything on paper, or certainly before I would show it to Jason or our editors. Like when we did, uh, when Volstag became the War Thor back in Mighty Thor, there was a bit more back and forth with that because originally I had sort of designed him more in a bright, heroic fashion and he had a color palette that was reminiscent of his usual colors and Jason said, oh, you know, this is actually going to be a much darker character and more metal and uh, etc. So he ended up being spikier and uh, with more dark clothing and more aggressive and intense. And so that one went through a bit of revisions, but for the more of the realm stuff, it's, it's been pretty easy with the designs and just a lot of fun. And Matt, what about you? When you're coloring a character for the first time, especially a new one or a character mm-hmm. with a new look for a series like this, do you do different versions of color schemes? Do you sort of play around? Or you're, um, right on the character side, usually Russell has plenty of ideas going into that, even with the colors. Because like, I think he fully designs them mm-hmm. as if he were, you know, they were to be made into a costume, it seems like to me anyway. He's not just thinking in black and white. He's thinking about the kind of contrasts and fabrics and colors and materials and that kind of stuff. So when he gives us like his character sheets, like, you know, at least their base colors or whatever are there. Usually kind of what I get to design or play with is more when powers or weird cosmic stuff, you know, things that aren't necessarily set in stone come into play or like um, we like depicted the world tree or something once. And I got to like really play with how that looked and, and then get feedback and mess around with that. But usually, yeah, I give a, Kind of like Russell, I think it through a lot while I'm doing it and kind of give my strongest effort, or at least what I hope is my strongest effort, and then take feedback and, you know, make tweaks from there. It's neat. All right. We're going to wrap up this part real soon, but what is the thing that you're most excited for fans to see in the War of the Realms series? Jason, let's start with you. That's a good question. I think... um... I mean, to me, every issue has got something big and crazy in it. Again, this is a a huge war, a war we've been building towards for years, so it needs to pay off in a big way. So there's tons and tons of characters involved. Definitely when next time I see Russell, I'll have to buy him a really, (laughs) really nice dinner for the millions of characters he's had to. So I, I do think each issue has something really cool in it. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a cool Loki moment in issue one. I'll just say that. Russell, what about you? Well, in general, I'm probably most excited for everybody to see all of these Marvel heroes coming together and you know butting up against all this Thor stuff. It's just really fun. Like even though it is a war and there is some serious stuff going on, it's like a really fun book to draw and hopefully to read. In issue two, um, oh, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love issue it. two. Yeah. I'll just say there's something in issue two I really like. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. I, I think, um, again, in kind of general terms, it's uh, Jason and Russell have given me such fun moments to play with, and I try to really make sure it's as impactful as it can be with the way I color it. So I, I guess just those moments, I, I can't wait for people to see, because like they're specifically designed for the reactions that hopefully the readers will have. I mean, uh laugh from Spidey or like a holy crap from when someone crashes in and, you know, kind of disrupts a moment. And so hopefully uh, if uh, if I've done my job well, I haven't obscured things too much or sold the impact there and hope that uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to the most. Nice. Yeah. And I know you guys have tried to avoid some spoilers, but Fortunately, we are going to come back a couple of times during War of the Realms with some special talks about the different acts. We're going to come back uh, with another chat with Jason, Matt, and Russell to talk about Act 1, again with Act 2, and again with Act 3. So there will be some spoilery talk we can get into just a little bit. But for now, I just want to thank the three of you for being on This Week in Marvel. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Big thanks to Jason, Russell, and Matt for being awesome. Now on to our interview with comedian Matt Bronger. Uh, We got to sit down with him, Jamie and I, to just chit-chat. He was great. He was so fun talking about Marvel's Agent Carter and his podcast, his advice podcast. He did great. He's got his head on his shoulders. He sure does. Awesome. So listen to our conversation with Matt Bronger right now. Hi, Matt. 
Hey, man. How you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we always do is, is we want to dig into what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to Marvel mm. characters and stories and all that? Well, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. We had two comic book stores. We had Pegasus Books and uh, Future Dreams. And my friends, I forget who it was who first got me into comic books, but it was a classmate, I believe, probably like in sixth grade. And we all kind of... As you do, you kind of pick what your 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 favorite label is, let's say. And I was definitely always a Marvel guy because I really loved the X-Men civil rights analogy. And, you know, it's one of those things that I, I found I could talk with my mom about and get her into comics because it was based in something she was so passionate about. Yeah. That is equality, civil rights. But I also, I just dug the feel of, of them. Uh, it, it's interesting, my kind of, let's just say, hero worship, so to speak, started when I was a kid. I was really into, like, Greek mythology and Norse mythology, and I just loved the old legends. But I never, at that point, got, I didn't jump from there to Thor. Right. Almost because I was just like, but he's not, though. He's like a god. He's not a super person. It makes no sense, you know? Like, I couldn't <laughs> reconcile. Yeah. I could reconcile a, a Russian peasant turning steel when a, a tractor is about to run over Naturally. his sister and destroys yeah. the tractor. Yeah. But, like, no, in terms of, like, a god-made human, nah. I think, do you remember what, what time period that was? Uh, this was... Like, mid-'80s? Uh, late, late-'80s. Late-'80s, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, man. That's yeah. a good time. Like, the X-Men yeah. that, you mm -hmm. know, I talk about X-Men as... My life blood. It's oh, right like, on. You know, yeah. for, for many of us, it was so important because of all the things that you connected with. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking about like, yeah, you look at the covers of like late 80s. Yes. Marvel. 140, 141 with the spotlight. Yeah. Like, I have that. I have that comic. Ooh, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Days of Future Past. Oh, yeah. Break your damn heart, Jamie. It really, uh, it really, really does. Good. I'm a late adopter to the comics, so I'm into your street level guys like Daredevil. Cool. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. love, I love, I love the Punisher. I loved the Punisher when I was a kid. I think, Partially because you always rebel against your parents, and I was never allowed toy weapons. <laughs> Talk about just a yeah. friggin' gun-loving maniac. Yeah. Like, he's not a heroic guy, really. No, there's you a lot of things going on <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... At, at one point, uh, we were talking to the guy who writes The Current Punisher. is a friend of ours named Matt. Okay. And at one point in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, we put out a book called The Punisher Armory, which was just a book about his guns. Yeah. Sure. Like, mm -hmm. It's like his stamps. It's like just his stamps. <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. His little, sure. yeah, his his little collection. collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so you, we mentioned before you're part of the Marvel family. You're I am. Kind yeah. of part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because yeah. you play Dr. Samberly on, yeah. Mar on Marvel's Agent Carter. Yeah. Yeah. I was only supposed to be in one episode and they kept writing me in. That's amazing. And yeah. I was like the, the, the time of my life. I mean, it was weird because I was wearing like dead people clothes. Those are actual like wardrobe pieces I was thinking from about the forties. Yeah. Wow. And you have to wear, if you're a man, you have to, you wear your belt, your belt level across your belly button. Is that not normal? But it's it coming me, back, right? It made me realize why th that stereotype of old guys pulling their pants up too high, where that comes from. Because you would have these really long pants. It's just uncomfortable to have your waistband around your stomach. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and to have your hair all bro creamed back and stuff and, and to play a guy named Aloysius I was mean, a blast. I mean, that must be a dream. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. also you learned how to spell it. Yes, exactly. When I saw it in the script first time, I was like, I, I, Aloysius? I don't know how to say <laughs> Alois this. Aloysius. Mm -hmm. I think we all grew up as children who watch cartoons yeah. and learning about like, you know, nerds versus bullies. There's yeah. always a nerd named Aloysius mm -hmm. or some kind of, like, kind of guy right, named right. Aloysius. Well, and, and that's why he was disenfranchised. I love like a, a band of misfits. I think we all do. You know, the X-Men, the Goonies. SSR. We had me, this this guy who kind of nerded his way into isolation, and you had a female leader who back then they would never pay her any mind or respect, even though she was a badass. And then you had a guy who was crippled from the war, which that would have disenfranchised him in many people's eyes back then, and a black scientist who people wouldn't even look at him as a scientist because he's black. And so it was this awesome band that no one kind of respected. It was a, it was a really rad team to be a part of. I will say, though, like, <laughs> my friend was like, you know you're in the Marvel wiki? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you put in any uh, character and it'll show their picture and their name and a quote, a signature quote. And I was like, okay. And I looked mine up. So Captain America's signature quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it's, uh, we're not asking for forgiveness and we're way past asking for permission. Earth just lost her greatest defender, so we're here to fight. And if you're here to stand in our way, then we'll fight you too. It's pretty hardcore, yeah, right? Yeah. My character, Dr. Aloysius Samberly's quote 
I'm doing my best. <laughs> you know what, though? Like, I want a motivational poster of no, that. No one who's ever doing well has ever said I'm doing my best. That is the last ditch thing that a guy who's failed horribly says. <laughs> I remember the chief, the chief was like, did have you picked the lock? And I'm trying to defuse this bomb. And I'm like, I'm doing my best. <laughs> like that's something someone yells and they knock over all the shelves in the storeroom. Yeah. Same relief. I'm doing my best. It's, it, there's a lot to unpack there because it's not only like a polite response in a very high pressure situation, but it's also yeah. like, I'm not a total loser no. here. And it's so funny just to see it in quotes because it's his name, a picture, and then in quotes, I'm doing my best. <laughs> You know what, if though? I love it so much. <laughs> he was doing his best. He was. Similarly, forever. It's he really, he really, really was. Yeah. You know. It's all we really can yeah. do. <laughs> um, you also, you have a, an advice podcast, right? I do. Uh, would you mind telling us what it's called? If you want to use an edited version, Advice from a Dipstick with Matt Bronger, where uh, people call in and leave messages asking for advice on every topic you can imagine. My producer, Amanda, curates them and then plays them for me live on the show, and I never hear them in advance. And I base it on my expertise, uh, the times I've been an idiot in my life. Yeah. Just learn from your mistakes and, and, and move forward and stop being your own worst enemy and understand that we're all made of our mistakes. I actually love what you said about your mistakes in your upcoming live show. Oh, thanks. Uh, finally live in Portland. Yes. I know the acronym is FLIP, which yeah. I thought was really, really cool. <laughs> thanks. And I love how you refer to tattoos as mistakes. I am covered in mistakes. Sure. You have a favorite mistake. Is it your only mistake? No, I have a second, even worse mistake that I oh, made on purpose. Man. Well, it's a tribute to my wife because we go to San Francisco every year. That's like our little weekend because she travels a lot. I travel a lot, obviously. And almost every year she's like, let's get butt tattoos and I'm always like yeah and then at the end of the night I'm like no nah, I was wuss out and so this time I did, were doing it and she didn't believe me up until I got under the needle and uh, I won't say what it is yeah. but um, the, the first one I, yeah, I have a bit about how I got a, a tattoo on a dare in a pool hall when I was 19 19 I, I mean like it. but this one was 18 I got a black flag bars which I don't regret at all cool. but it's like okay I didn't think about the structure of what I wanted right. as someone who has tattoos all over his arms. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. And I like I like markers like that. I can't stand like really meaningful tattoos that are very kind of esoteric and spiritual. And that's my point about them being mistakes <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah, I definitely had got like a, a typical 22-year-old gothy tattoo. Nice. And I embrace it. All of my tattoos do have a sort of like purpose for being there, but I kind of gave up on them being super philosophical after I got the gothy one, mm -hmm. which is like some gothic script in the tramp stamp area. My lower back it says victory loves preparation in Latin. Nice. I still There's so I many still layers to that. I great. know. It was it's such great. a 22-year-old yeah. Jamie thing to do. Mm -hmm. And every time I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I still believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <Okay>. great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still getting them. I'm covered in mistakes oh, yeah. and stories. And, I'll be getting yeah. tattoos. Yeah, I'm and, sure yeah. I'll get a few more yeah. before I punch my ticket but like you know it's 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 a fun thing to do yeah uh i want to go back to the advice for a second yes, okay. what is the worst piece of advice you've given on the show so far oh boy is there were is there bad advice are you just mm. like are you earnestly giving I, the oh yeah that's I'm always great sincere. That, that makes I'm always me happy sincere. yeah i couldn't do that i couldn't be a, a jerk about it i try to always give sincere there were ones i was kind of on the fence about like you know, there was a guy who, who was was a vet and his dad was a vet and his dad was kind of always riding him and was a jerk to him. And this guy was just saying, I just found out my dad was never in the military. <gasps> and he was like, what do you think I should do? It doesn't really matter to me. I have a family now and they're my life. My dad is not my life. And my call was just don't blow up his spot. Don't even say anything. Let him take it to the grave. Who cares? And, you know, I was like with... You know, one caveat, you know, if he pushes it way too hard, you always have the smart bomb. Yeah. But if you can avoid using the smart bomb, do it. Well, because obviously his dad is not going to change. His dad is yeah. kind of a misanthrope anyway, the stuff he was saying. And, and you know, I, I was kind of like, just cut him out of your life a little bit. Yeah. Maybe not all the way. I have a friend who has a tattoo that just says, you know, on it. More often than not, you know the right thing. Mm -hmm. You just need someone else to say it yeah. a lot of times. You have that and little push. Yeah, because the, the guy did not sound like he, he had any interest. He didn't seem like a vindictive guy. He made it through. Prob not terrible, but probably slightly annoying childhood with that dad. Yeah. But like 
he's got his own family now. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? So that was like, did I give the right advice? I don't know. Yeah. I think so. But you, you could be totally wrong. You know what? You're doing the best. I'm doing, you're doing, your best. I'm doing <laughs> my best. That was, I, John Hodgman was in the audience last night and I, I did that joke and he texted me. He's like, great job, Samberly. You did your best. <laughs> it's going to be on your gravestone. Oh. Yeah. I, he did his a, best. <laughs> I would even just in quotes, I'm doing my best. Still. <laughs> and he's dead. It's what like do you, you want? Doing my best. I'm you dead. Gotta admire him. He's still trying. Oh. Yeah, you actually have a really good Magneto bit. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you just kind of throw it in there. Are the Marvel is the Marvel universe sort of as much part of your life where it's just sort of all encompassing, permeating? Like it's just something that's kind of always there. Like you mm. think about a Marvel character helping you out. Sure, here and there, and it, it, but it's like if I if I reference them, I I can't. It has to be someone that everyone kind of knows. You know, which like I can't really throw a Moon Knight reference. You can with me. Into I really <laughs> like Moon Knight. You work here. Yeah, I think that you know. Okay, I did hear of Moon Knight before I started working here. I was always intrigued by Moon Knight. Yeah, I mean, I loved Moon Knight, but I never got Moon Knight. I never like understood him. I was like, do you just constantly jump in front of the moon? Is that how you disappear? <laughs> You're dressed entirely in white. You know, this uh, is, yeah, but this it is was what... a dark comic. Like that comic was oh, yeah. dark as heck. Yeah, you know. Um, if you could have a superpower, oh boy, what would it be? This one, jeez, I think I'd have to go probably with Nightcrawler. I would love to just be anywhere I want to be. See, but he has the thing about Nightcrawler that I have always thought about. I mean, without all the the demonic. No, you got to get it massage. all. You got to have a cool uh, tail. Cool. You got to be able to blend into shadows. That, that, uh, that- can teleport. But he can teleport. Without the bamf. A max of three miles, I think. Oh, yeah. So I always think about that. I'm like, I mean, that's all right. Yeah. Like, I, I'd have to bamf a couple times to get to work. Yeah. Like, all that's. And he has to, and you know what, three miles, like, he has to be able to see where he's going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't want to bamf right into a wall. Into a wall. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry, I, I just destroyed your whole. I, I guess I, I was trying to pick, a, if there's a character that teleports. Blink, yeah. can't blink teleport? Yeah. Hers, I think, is a little bit more limited even than the Nightcrawler's. Well, I mean, technically, become... Doctor Strange can just sure. open portals and, you know, dimensions and just go through. Yeah. So he can do that. Yeah. Imagine. But I wouldn't Doctor Doctor Strange always terrified me because this, like, what a friggin' weight on your shoulders. Where you're defending everybody from the stuff we can't see that's terrific to imagine. Yeah. Even if the superpowers, it's just like, oh, you're fighting a big strong person, someone shooting lasers out of their eyes, and then just, oh, this is hell. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is a, oh. it's a, a, a raised Catholic lapsed. <laughs> that, that is way too dark for me, yeah. man. Yeah. That that's an option oh. or something you're going to have to defend people or in yourself from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to wrap up here by uh, thinking about, like, okay, so if you're, you're going out, you want to bring someone with you right. on some shows that you're doing – if you could bring a Marvel character mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe open up for you. Oh, gosh. Who would you bring? Besides Moon Knight. Of you course. know, <laughs> real dry. <laughs> He's got a delivery like uh, Stephen Wright, honestly. He's <laughs> uh, really saying absurd stuff. Stephen Wright has yeah. Moon Knight. Or he could be four different acts. Yeah. So. I, You know, I, I strive to bring people out that are funnier than me. You know, because they only have this much time and it kind of, it makes me work harder and it gets like, it gets the crowd excited when someone comes out and just, just hits them right away. And I think, I mean, it's, it's been overstated, but I mean, I think Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool is hilarious. And just like, I mean, everyone loves him for a reason, obviously. And I think his kind of, what used to be kind of like his, when he was that college dude, like Van Wilder, it was kind of, he's just like a, a younger just as douchey Chevy Chase kind of thing or ju- douchier and it's just mellowed and it's so funny yeah. like him in Presser X's chair going through the oh. house With, well, I don't know why the one leg over the other one is, is so pretentious <laughs> and hilarious with just bobbing up and down and like oh these old white guys <laughs> get my rape whistle like such a genius and so it's like I just have him go up in costume and riff no one would want to see me yeah. after that, but it'd be such a challenge. It would slay. It would be great. It would slay. Wonderful yeah. night. Mm-hmm. I love it. That was a great answer. Matt, where can fans find you, and where can they check out Finally Live in Portland? Well, it's uh, mattbronger.com is where you can find all things Matt Bronger. It's M-A-T-T-B-R-A-U-N-G-E-R.com. And Finally Live in Portland just went up on Amazon and iTunes. It's on Amazon Prime for streaming and uh, as well as Google Play and PlayStation and uh, a bunch of other places you can check it out on. So it's kind of we're just blasting it all over the place. So 
It's awesome. I'm psyched. It's, I hope congrats. people dig it. It's such a good special, too. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's a lot of super, fun. I was yeah. laughing at my desk. Thanks yeah. a lot. No, yeah. I appreciate that. That's yeah. so cool. Heck yeah. Thanks, Thanks Matt. for having me, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Big thanks to Matt once again. You can check out his podcast and all the stuff that he mentioned uh, in the interview. It is time for our community. First up, we got to get our question of the week out of the way. Question of the week, of course. Is what was your favorite part of Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel? Easy. This is super easy. This is incentive and homework that you're going to enjoy very much. So here's two things. I can't give my favorite part because it's a spoiler. Yeah, so, also, for those of you who answer, be mindful. Yes, be Find mindful. Find creative ways to explain because not everybody gets a chance to see the movie, you know, first week, first couple days. Hopefully, you do, but not everybody gets that opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mine has to do with Goose. So does mine. Yeah. M- most, like, Goose and Nick. I, it's not a spoiler to say that they have very fun and adorable interactions. Yeah. This is true. You're going to enjoy that Quite a bit. All right. So you can tweet your answer using hashtag this week in Marvel. Email your response to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. First up is an email we got from our friend Jim. He says, greetings. I had a bit of a fun question for our intrepid hosts and my fellow listeners. What voices do you read characters dialogue in? I know this could have been a tweet, but I wanted to share the story behind it. Jim continues saying, you may recall around this time last year when an issue of Weapon X dealt with Logan's birthday, and I commented that the issue came out the week of my birthday. Ryan said that Wolverine and I totally shared the same birthday, not necessarily knowing that this was the 16th. So for our wrestling fans, Wolverine's birthday is 316. Ever since the revelation, I have read his word bubbles as his fellow beer-loving brawler, Steve Austin. (laughs) Can I get a hell yeah? That is a... Very mediocre, Steve Austin. But a great Wolverine, perhaps. Oh, yeah, it it is a Wolverine, (laughs) like a Texan Wolverine almost. Jim says, I thought a few people would have fun with that. Cheers and make mine Marvel. That's That's super fun. (laughs) I really like like this this email, like thinking about what voices you hear in your head when you read a character. Sometimes it's like I don't have a specific voice. Sometimes it's based on different things we've done. Like sometimes, unfortunately, I'll hear Captain America and he sounds like Jesse Falcon's Captain America from Marvel Superheroes. What oh, the? Like which, the really patriotic. Yep, yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's like the animated series versions, especially for X-Men, you know, like Gambit. I hear Gambit from the 90s X-Men cartoon. I think Wolverine probably leans toward that as well. Sort of a little bit gruff, but warm. Yeah. See, since I'm, I came through the movies and TV before the comics, before becoming a more avid comics reader. So I definitely hear all the voices from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the TV shows, unless it's a character who hasn't been on one of those. When I first read Domino, it was before Deadpool 2 came out. And I kind of just heard myself because I loved Domino. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of the badass I've always wanted to be. So... That was kind of the, one of the first times I read a comic and heard myself thinking in the in Gil Simone's words. Nice. And Scott McElroy says, trying to organize a group screening for Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel during our 14-year-old girls' volleyball tournament in Denver next week, thinking that seeing General Carol Danvers' badassery on screen might motivate our young ladies to play better. Or jump higher, run further, and go faster. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I, yeah, I think... It's going to get them charged up. Like we, we didn't have a lot of kids at the f- company screening that I noticed, but they seemed really excited. Man, I was on volleyball for five minutes to impress a boy my freshman year of high school. And um, if I had seen Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, I think I would have been able to re-motivate myself. Probably still would have been terrible at it because I'm not athletic. But it would have been a better reason to stick with it than the reason I had originally joined. So, yeah, take those girls on that screening, even just for funsies. But, yeah, that is if that doesn't motivate them to play better volleyball or at least try their very best, I don't know what will. (laughs) It made me want to go back to kickboxing, like, really bad. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, Scott, hope they all enjoy it. I hope everybody enjoys Marvel Studios, Captain Marvel. Stop listening. Go watch the movie. Do we'll it. be back next week, and we want to hear what your favorite moments were. No spoilers. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.